So I think most people have focal length preferences, and obviously that it depends on what you're photographing. But in just in a general sense, the kind of way I know you like to wander around taking pictures of the neighborhood, and I assume you have a focal length preference. Does that change over time? And when it does, why does it change? That's, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yes, it has changed over time. Um, and I will, um, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. You had me a little bit speech speechless there. Cause I was, uh, uh, I was thinking back over when the last time I really used a zoom lens. And what I mean by really used one is I have a couple of point and shoot cameras with zoom lenses and I do use those occasionally, uh, not very often, uh, but on occasion I will use those. But the last time I used a zoom lens with any regularity, it was on digital cameras. So that would be pre, that would be 2013. Yeah, that would be 2013. And it was, um, uh, it was when I had the, the full spectrum Canon, uh, EOS T3i that, um, had the, the filter removed. There's a filter that sits right in front of the sensor that cuts off infrared and, um, UV light, uh, on digital SLRs. And I had that, uh, removed and replaced with clear glass. And that clear glass then allowed the UV and the infrared to come through. And then I put on filters on the end. And I was using at that time, you know, uh, I was, I was using uh, one of, one of Canon's uh, zooms. It was like a 28, 135 i think 28 105 one of those types of things and i used it, I, I used it quite a bit when i went to england in 2013 i used that primarily um and then after that i got a um oh what is it the um samyang uh but it was under the rokinon brand I had a 35 millimeter prime that was just a beautiful lens. It was manual focus. And I think that that kind of cured me of the zoom. Um, and okay, so here's the, so the different idea of focal length is, do I want my focal length to be flexible? I'm gonna tell you no, except in very rare circumstances, do I want a flexible focal length? Um, you shoot it with, you know, I mean, it's the tennis shoe zoom concept. Are you familiar with that one? Yes. Yeah. So the tennis shoe zoom concept for everybody else is, uh, or sneaker zoom is the other idea, um, is that if, if you want to get closer to an image, you walk up. Yeah. I think they're called tra trainers um, actually. Trainers. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so it trained me into not using them. Um, so it was, uh, I really got, um, it, and and probably originally it came out of a little bit of snobbery and a little bit of uh, of misconception on the quality of zoom lenses. Uh, I really thought that zoom lenses were all 
you know, essentially didn't matter how good the zoom lens was. It was essentially lesser than every prime lens, you know, that every prime lens was better than every zoom lens. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there was hierarchies within each, you know, focal length or zoom range or whatever um, for which one's the best of the crap Um, or, you know, that, that type of thing. But I, I, I have come off that. I don't have that snobbery. But I also am out of the habit of using them, and I'm okay with being out of the habit of using them. I enjoy using prime lenses more than I do zoom lenses. Now, the this is all kind of a roundabout way to get to the idea of I generally will shoot 50 millimeter or, or equivalent, 50 millimeter or shorter. And I will almost never go past 50. In fact, I think, you know, like um, there are several uh, SLR lenses that you can find out there that are like 56 millimeter or 52 millimeter. And it's just like at that point, no, no, (laughs) no. Um, So I am I'm very much um, I'm very much on the wide end of that, even though. Okay, so 50 millimeters is slightly tele. Um, just slightly. Uh, just slightly. But um, I would rather be in the 40s. Mm-hmm. So, so you you like true normal, in other words. In other words, you want your optical I, I uh, wanna, optical effects to be as close as possible to the normal human vision. Um, right. And that's right. really a perspective issue because it's not field of view. Um, all Most cameras crop at, at a normal focal length. They crop down to a smaller size than our kind of peripheral vision shows us. Uh, But that's beside the point. What's consistent is that a normal focal length lens shows us perspective as we would see it uh, from the, you know, from the same distance from the subject. So it doesn't create that sense of being farther away or closer to the subject. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if you're, I mean, this works with an SLR, but it doesn't work with any of the other cameras, but with an SLR, if I can open my eye that is not looking through the viewfinder and I can look through the viewfinder through that lens, through the viewfinder, they should fuse. It should be identical vision. Uh, And that happens, you know, what, about 42, 45, somewhere right in there. Yeah. Um, and that to me, that's normal. That's what I'm expecting normal. But uh, although what's normal is what's standard. And uh, um, so a normal. And the, the, def- the definition gets a little fuzzy because it's actually based on the output. It's really based on what you're seeing and how far away it is in terms of a print or a screen or something like that. So the two things have to be tied together to really make sense of this. But just sort of in the average way, that makes sense to me. So what what you started off with all this zooming, went back when you were zooming a lot, were you also finding that you ended up right around the 50, 40 to 50 millimeter mark? No, no, no. almost what, never, mm-hmm. almost never. I went to the lock on one end, then I went to the lock on the other end, right? right? Uh, so I was either at 28 or 135. So you just... And Resist. We're resisting walking, basically. Ah, uh, it was. I don't know. And I think back to that. <laughs> I I misused that device. I didn't use that device properly. 
Right. Um, and so, um, I, yeah, I just. Um, well, I've heard a lot of people say that, that they're either always going to the widest or to the closest that their Zoom allows. Yeah. And and it's I guess it's understandable if it's just to save you walking up closer or farther away. <laughs> As, right. You know, it's like just to save energy or whatever. But, um, yeah, it is it is kind of a strange, a strange thing i i think you're right yeah. i think a very professional photographer who really understands what they're doing can make the uh-huh. best use of zoom i've been going back and forth i've played with um, my zoom uh, lately a few times because it's convenient if i you know i don't have to carry extra stuff if i just throw that thing on there but i still find that it has a bunch of drawbacks uh even when i know what i'm doing and even when i start by looking down and adjusting the focal length to the one i want it's still it's slower. It, it's not lower quality, but it's a slower lens. And there is right. also this kind of mental thing that if you have too many choices, um, you can. It's sort of like what we talked about focusing. When you when you focus through the lens, you you tend to waffle until you you're sure of you know any insecurity right. wastes time and energy. Um, and it's similar with the zoom. If you're, it's just another thing to distract you from looking at your subject and figuring out you know. Right what right, you want to exactly. do. So, yeah, I mean, it's just another complication that may or not may not be helpful. So what what when you stopped with the zooming and you fell into normal focal length, um, does was that like really just because you didn't want to be distracted by the effects that change? Oh, focal length no. Had? OK, so there are a couple of things about zoom lenses that, um, you know, that I was that I was talking about, uh, you know, OK. Um, Canon, uh, Nikon, uh, Fuji, blah, blah, blah. All of those um, are actually, it's even more pronounced, not in in the brands, it's more pronounced in the off-brands. So if you look at Sigma's lineup, how many prime lenses do they have? You know, say if they're selling right now 25 different lenses, there are maybe three primes. And... Well, that's it's certainly almost, not true of Fuji. Um, yeah, it's you're I, you're right. Yeah, and and I and that was one of the reasons when I said Fuji, I I I backed off and I said, and I went went to Sigma as a better example. Um, and you know how many different um how many different lenses do you suppose they have? I have no idea, but I I do know that um, they're sort of higher end lenses tend toward prime except that they do make it a zoom that's extremely appealing that's a very limp it's, a, it's an older idea it's a very limited zoom but it's got a, a very fast fixed aperture throughout the range that actually looks like a great zoom okay lens. here's here's what they have okay so i have i'm on sigma site they have 16 wide angle lenses they have 10 standard lenses they have 23 telephoto for multi-purpose. I have, oh, multi-purpose is 18 to 300, 18 to 250. Oh my God, those things are horrible. Uh, I had an 18 to 200 uh, Tamron when they first came out. Softest lens I've ever owned. Um, then they have nine macro, three fisheye, 21 OS. Oh, image stabilized. So there's some overlap there, but let's, I'm going to look at the wide angle lenses and the standard lenses and the telephoto lenses. Okay. So 
those are um so they have like a 14 16 19 20 24 28 35 and those are all uh primes and then they have a bunch of zooms there are four zooms on this page and four on the next page so they actually split on the wide they're, they're split about uh eight and eight and for primes they are split evenly so even my bias doesn't and then telephoto um telephoto will tend a little bit more to be biased to zoom because there's actually yeah. a logical reason for it if you're trying to find a subject with a really long lens it actually helps if you can start wide and then zoom in it's just easier right. to to, to uh, track something that way yeah and 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 i've been proven wrong again as i look at this lineup they're split evenly between primes and zooms. That That's still surprises me, interesting. though. That still seems yeah. zoom-heavy to me because you would think you wouldn't need so many different zooms since they cover a wide range. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Okay, so here's um, – so um, I forget exactly what it was. Oh, God, and they've got those – a bazooka 20, 200 to 500, 2.8. And it's only $26,000, folks. That's a decent car. Um, okay, so uh, one of the, there are a couple of things that have uh, have just occurred to me. Well, there are a couple of things that have occurred to me uh, for a while. Um, and and when I started when we started doing this podcast, I I started thinking a lot about aperture and how it relates to the to the lens and and what the the actual math is. Um, and, you know, it's it, it anyway, I've been I've been thinking about those a lot. One of the things that we've been told lately is, uh, OK, a traditional zoom is um, here's an example a 70 to 300 f4 to 5.6 so as you are further zoomed in uh, you know you get more towards the 300 um end of the uh, of that zoom lens the aperture goes down proportionally and the you know so uh when you're zoomed back uh out you know on the 70 end here it opens up and that's a function of what the math is on a uh on the f stop right so it is focal length divided by aperture size right right okay so as the lens gets longer it makes sense that the proportional aperture size is smaller if that actual if that opening stays the same size right if that opening stays the same size and the focal length gets longer the aperture number goes down right the f-stop mm -hmm. goes down sure it's just right? a fraction yeah. yeah okay so they came up with these with these constant focal um zooms the 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 here let me uh come the up aperture with, stays the same at all at yeah. all yeah Okay, so here's focal lengths. A, yeah, a 17 to 50 f 2.8. So at 50 millimeters, it's f 2.8, and at 17 millimeters, it's f 2.8. So f 2.8 means that that, uh, and I'm going to be off just a little bit because it remember the it's the actual 
area, the f-stop is the area as so, opposed to the diameter. Right. So it must be that the only way that that would work that I can think of is that the aperture is is not staying at a fixed size, but it's it's changing in size changing to keep the proportion size. to keep the right. proportion constant. So it's basically just a smarter aperture allows that to happen. Right. Um, okay. So yes. so let's go. Probably let me, affects the optical design as well, though. Yeah, but here's the thing that drives me absolutely batty. So f2.8 at 50 millimeters, if you zoom down to 17 millimeters, that's about a 1.2. Why but, is this not a 1.2 to 2.8 lens? Because then the lens would have to be gigantic. So in so there, no, there's, no, 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 yes, no, 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 yes, no. yes, no. Okay, no, because <laughs> you're thinking of it backwards. No, I'm you're not. Backwards, no, because <laughs> if it can if it can reach in a 50 millimeter at 50 millimeters, if it can be 2.8, then at 17 millimeters, it's getting closer to that proportion. That is stopping down. No, the aperture. No, the aperture. It's a relative aperture. So that's right. So you have a you 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 start with a lens of a certain size, okay? Uh-huh. And at that size of a lens, the best you can do wide at the widest focal length is let's say 2.8 as you started you started out the formula. Okay? No. You know, the 2.8 on this also works at the 50. But so it started But it's end. the okay. way it's doing it is it's you're so you're suggesting that it opens up bigger and then why can't it stay big as you go the other way? I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it there, there must be another part of this that we don't haven't grasped. Yeah. There must be another limitation that we haven't grasped. Um, yeah, we but, need to get somebody on the show who knows that. Yeah, and speaking of that, I think we should start homemade camera podcasts. Okay. So one of the things I've been thinking about uh, a lot lately is about the enlarger that Nick is sending to me, that, that you're sending to me, um, and the idea that there, the this is a uh, an enlarger that can do 120, it can do six by six, and it can do 35 millimeter, and I believe it's got a negative carrier that adjusts. Well, so, something something about it adjusts. It's hard for me to tell whether it adjusts for different formats or whether it's a cropping function. I really don't. I didn't. I didn't yeah. figure it out. You, you need to read the manual, I think. Yeah. Well, I did read the manual, and it was saying something about that. But I think I may. Um, I I'm one of those people. Uh, do you remember back? This is something that I saw crop up a lot in the '80s. Uh, people would enlarge the opening for their 35 millimeter uh, negative carriers. They would file out the edges, so and see, so the, you the would edges. see the black around. Right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that look, and and I plan on employing that look. So I think I will be um, 3D printing some negative carriers for it. I'm gonna guess. I'm just guessing. Maybe this thing will work. Maybe. Maybe all I need to do is just, you know. Well, it does uh, have some sort of shutters that slide both horizontally and vertically independently. So it may be that you can frame any size negative between, you know, 16 millimeter and (laughs) 
six by six or whatever, whatever the right. range is. But right. Uh, it, it's it's some sort of complicated negative carrier, the like of which I've never seen um, from the Czech uh, from yeah. the yeah you know, Mioptra. What's now the it's Czech Republic? Like it's a Mioptra. No, it's not. It's not the Czech Republic. It's Czechia. They changed the name. Oh, it's changed it again. Czechia is the uh, name of that of uh, that country. But but yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, the, the, nobody calls it Czechia. Um, so <laughs> but yeah. anyway, it's a Mioptra. Is that right? Miopa. No, Mioptra. There's no R. Mioptra. Mioptra. There we go. Um, and uh, and I'll I'll know about that uh, in a couple of days when I get to start playing around with it. But the the idea is um, I, I I'm thinking, OK, so I also just recently within uh, what, a month and a half, got the Holga WPC, the the six by 12 pin Holga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and I've been having a ton of fun shooting with that. I really actually think that that is a nice pinhole camera. And I was, I was just listening on uh, the Lensless podcast um, this last time. And I forget the guy's name, a guy from Wisconsin who makes his own um, uh, pinhole cameras, which, you know, I totally agree with from the pinhole or from the homemade camera podcast. Um, but he said he, he was, uh, he was saying uh, uh, dismissing, uh, he was, talking dismissively of this camera, but, um, but okay. So it's got a six by 12 negative. Well, I can't print six by, I can't enlarge. Well, I think, I think you'd need a, you'd need a four by five enlarger to four handle by five. that. Yeah. Right. And that's a right. pretty big right. enlarger. Uh, right. That, that's a ju- pretty giant and you have space constraints, but there is a workaround. Okay. So, so six by six is as big as you can go um, for a straight enlarger uh, in the dark room with the one that I sent you, but you could jump to making digital negatives and contact printing for bigger stuff. Yes. So, yes. so there's the like another with, route to get there. Yeah. Well, but the problem with did you, the, the whole point of larger format is finer detail. Um, and when you, when you put that through my laser printer, which is essentially what you do with a digital inner negative, um, yeah, that you're, you're degrading the image and I've been working with those with cyanotypes and the image is a generation down. So, um, and you're starting with a Holga. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going way down the fidelity curve, way down there. So, uh, so anyway, um, uh, this is, this is <laughs> this is all uh, a sidebar to uh, to my main point. And my main point is the concept of because my output right now, uh, my output for darkroom prints, my output is either I can well, I can contact print any size that I can create. But the other half of that is. I am limited to a six by six negative and I'm limited to black and white for the, um, for, for this project, right. Uh, for any darker print, I have another another solution for you before you go on. Yeah. You, you can, a six by 12 negative, you can make two prints 
using the six by six negative carrier and then just put Absolutely. them right next to each other as a diptych. So that's another solution. Believe me, I done thought about that, bro. <laughs> so, so yeah, but I, I love the fact that you keep throwing, you keep throwing wrenches into my, into my limitations. You keep <laughs> finding workarounds to my limitations, but the whole point of this is limitations. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh, you, no, oh, you I, want I, the I, limitation. I see. Well, okay. So here's a philosophy. I'm going to step back. And I think I've said something. Uh, I've said some, uh, I've done this little story on the podcast before, but I think it bears repeating. Um, uh, when I, I remember seeing um, uh, Jimmy Stewart on a, you know, like the Mike Douglas show or, Dinah Shore show or one of those shores, a daytime talk show um, for in the 1970s or maybe it was even the 1980s. And uh, yeah, probably was the 1980s. Now that I think about it, because of my attitudes were different in the 70s and the 80s. So um, I'm this little punk rock kid and I am watching the show with Jimmy Stewart. Uh, I'm a little punk rock kid who loves old movies, right? Okay. Um, and Jimmy Stewart, and, and there was a big debate. There was a big debate about the Reagan era um, censorship, okay? Censorship in the Reagan era, because there was a lot of cutting of funding to arts programs at that point. I'm just getting a little bit of deja vu right now. I don't know about you. Um, but there was a lot of um, this, this, idea that uh the reagan administration was killing the arts um and i i i i have a slightly different opinion now um but uh i think the maplethorpe thing was was going on and for those of you who don't remember or were not in the united states and don't know the whole thing robert maplethorpe um is uh was a photographer and he had gotten uh, federal funds from through the National Endowment for the Arts to produce uh, photographs. And he had done a whole series with flowers uh, previous to that. And um, what he took the money uh, for was um, uh, he did homoerotic uh, photographs, uh, lots of nudity, lots of. Uh, explicit activities um and there was just an outrage um i think that there were a lot of people who thought it was a bait and switch kind of thing like hey look at all my flower photographs but i'm gonna do gay porn you know um and so there there was a lot of backlash uh, particularly in the 80s that was um uh, you know uh compared well, I'm not going to get into that, but um, the whole the whole point was that there was this censorship discussion that was going on. And of course, I'm this little punk rock kid. Everything should be free, man. Get it. Yeah. With without freedom, we have no creativity and, you know, all that type of stuff. That was my credo at the time. So Jimmy Stewart is on this daytime talk show and he's and the, the subject comes up and he says, Ah, yeah, I, can, I should do it in his voice. I don't know what everybody's whining about. Uh, we worked under the strictest censorship that, you know, has probably been seen in public media in, in the 1940s and 50s. Mm. And we did great work. 
And yeah, I don't I, totally follow him. I think the 50s was actually a terrible time for American film because of the censorship. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> to a certain extent, to a certain extent, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. But here's I'm going to I'm going to move filmmakers um, and I'm going to go from David or from uh, from Jimmy Stewart, uh, an actor to David Lynch, a a director. And I am a huge fan of a lot of David Lynch stuff. Um, I, I, I particularly think that Blue Velvet is is very good. But then if you go to the next project, the next big project that he did, which was Twin Peaks on television, I really thought that Twin Peaks was better because it limited what he could do when you can do absolutely anything then you start doing absolutely anything as opposed to making it uh bumping up against the the edges bumping it up against the limitations and finding a way to get as close to that edge as possible finding a way to um to Engage the audience in a similar way that you would do in another medium and still yet stay within the bounds of that medium. And I'm going to say um, it's my opinion that David Lynch's best work was Twin Peaks and because of those limitations. So this is also back to the Zoom Prime thing. So to a certain extent. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things, uh, let's talk, let's go back a bit to that Zoom Prime and let's talk about the idea that when I, um, am, okay, I have, uh, I was walking around with a, an Olympus 35 SPN the other day, which is a fixed lens rangefinder, uh, from uh, the mid sixties. And it has one of the sharpest lenses in the world. Absolutely one of the sharpest lenses in the world. And that lens, uh, or excuse me, that lens is a 42 millimeter 1.7. So there are situations where, like I look out over a field and I can certainly take a picture of that tractor on the other end of the field, but I'm not going to ever make that tractor my subject from this distance. It will be an element, but it won't be the subject. Okay. Mm-hmm. Same thing. That 42 millimeter lens is sometimes too long, and if I back up, uh, you know, I'm gonna back out into traffic or uh, or off the end of the dock or whatever it is, um, or the you know, uh, or I can't get back far enough to focus properly. Sure. So, so those are so the there's limitations. A, there's a limitation, of, yeah. Right. So I'm okay with walking away from those photographs, um, because, uh, and this gets down another philosophical thing. As much as it is important to me to take that photograph and take a good photograph, it's more important for me to see the scene as a good photograph. And so if I've seen the scene as a good photograph, but I can't capture it, I'm okay with that. 
Um, yeah, that's fine. But what, but what you haven't gotten to is is um, really talking about the advantage of the limitation. So we, I can see that you accept okay. it. That makes sense. I accept it. And, and for my point of view, the first reason that I like that 40 millimeter uh, focal length is because it's normal to, it creates a, a sense of depth and perspective that feels normal to the human eye. So, yes. so that's, that's, it takes the kind of, um, the mojo of focal length out of the equation and just sort of shows you what the human eye expects to see. Um, and so then that requires you to put to get your excitement or your interest from the subject rather than from the optical mojo of your equipment. And sure. I like that part of the limitation is that it, it's focusing me to make the subject do the work more than the photographic technique. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Um, let me also uh, try to continue to answer that. Um, the, the question um, why, why does, um, it, I think it comes down to a certain extent of knowing your equipment kind of situation. Um, I can better, um, we were using, before we started the show, we were using the term triage. I can better triage the photograph, um, before I begin um, I can spy it more readily. Uh, I can, um, you know, it's this, it, it's also, I, I can work more efficiently because, um, if so I look at the, something sort of the keep it simple, stupid philosophy, right, um, right. Okay. So, so for instance, if I am, uh, I'm in a parking lot and, they have just, you know, resurfaced that that parking lot with good, crisp, black resurfacing agent, tar, whatever it is. And they've done the lines and they're all nice and crisp. Uh, but there is a bright orange cone that is just has this contrast with the rest of the parking lot. And I want to go capture that orange. Well, part of the limitation is if I don't have color film. You know, I'm not I'm never going to capture what I see, what I want to capture in that situation. So, you know, in, in that situation, um, I, I start thinking about the limitation of the medium I'm, re I'm recording. on, Right. Um, so uh, I, I think it comes down to whatever focal length you're shooting, it comes down to knowing that and embracing that and then looking for that which works with your limitation if that makes sense okay so well, if you, it reduces it reduces the number of options and you're you're you like that and i understand that um it can be maybe practical or it can help you focus um right. but it's you're not selling it in a super convincing way at this point it's just it's just a it's a way of working that's comfortable. And we've often heard people say that limitations are what make art strong. Um, and I guess I'm looking for really specific examples other than general ones. Um, OK, uh, well, part of the deal is that I have not. Uh, well, OK, so what I was the very basic premise of this is 
that um, if you have a particular outcome in mind, if you have, um, you know, in this case, I have to shoot in black and white and I have to shoot smaller than six by six, um, then I can switch to my six by three camera for a two to one panorama away from a six by 12 camera. Uh huh. I see. Does that make sense? Sure. And then when I'm choosing my film, if I'm going out um, and I'm uh, choosing, you know, what I want to shoot that day. And, you know, part of the deal is if I know where I'm going, I can have an idea of whether I want to shoot color or black and white. And, and truly, I'm not strictly limited to black and white. I'm not going to print color. I've done the RA4 printing and it's too many axes of change for my brain. It just is. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm not going to battle that. I'm really not going to do that. Um, so, so that, so uh, I watch, see that watch that in a month we, I'll have, I'll be doing it, but <laughs> so, yeah, so I get what you're saying. So a certain part of limitations is it simplifies your work. Another one is that it allows right. you to, to get the result you want with the limited equipment you have. Those are um, practical reasons. And now, now I'm sort of thinking about what I, the question I just asked you, and I see the other side of it, which is it's really always comes back to output. And that's where I think limitations are, are at their strongest, which is we know that if you do a body of work or a magazine article or anything with uh, that's got some sort of uh, it's expect it's to be consumed consecutively by somebody. There is a great deal of power in having a limited uh, approach. In other words, maybe all one kind of film, all one, perhaps all one focal length, some way, some consistency, because if you jump around too much, then the images don't hang together. And the Absolutely. person and the person experiencing them has a harder time getting immersed and sort of losing themselves in it. In a sense, the normal lens, which just takes away distractions of extreme focal length, is 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 also a simplification. Um, you could do an entire series with an extreme wide-angle lens, and it would be consistent. But the person would have to consistently be seeing perspectives they can't see with their naked eye. <laughs> right. And that would be a little extra work from them to do. And it might be worth it if that drama adds to the to the story you're telling. But it also might just be taking the energy away from the subject that you're portraying, um, you know, or at least making everyone's nose really big or some some other distracting <laughs> factor. Right. So I think that really probably where limitations pay off most is in the final end product uh, in that you can get a real kind of clean consistent result that it's much easier for a, a, a viewer to sort of lose themselves in as opposed to say showing them you know a, a bunch of photos that jump between black and white and color and you know an extreme uh, yeah. telephoto and, yeah. and that's just like that's like going to an you know a photo show where everybody like every kid in the boy scout troop put one picture up <laughs> Right, they're taken right. with or, 20 different cameras and 20 different lenses and 20 different films. And it's hard to look at that. I mean, it just is. Or the county fair. Um, yeah, that, that's exactly uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, no, I'm with you on that. One of the things that I noticed early on when I uh, joined Flickr 
is that there would be um, people who would follow me and I, then I would go and see if I wanted to follow them. Uh, and the people who would follow me and I would see their photo stream and their photo stream would be, you know, a grainy black and white photo uh, followed by a really beautiful picture of the Milky Way. That's my followed, photo stream you're describing. <laughs> <laughs> followed by, you know, um, uh, a, a portrait um, followed by, um, you know, some underwater photograph. Um, you know, yeah. and, and there was just like, and, and it, some of it is there would be no consistency in subject matter. There would be no consistency in, in media. So, you know, there'd be some, and, and that's partly because, like, oh, partly because what? it's a stream. So if you're an experimentalist as I right. am, and you're trying a lot of different stuff out, you're going to get a stream like that. But then of course you can reorganize things into albums and, right. Right. Get your consistency that way. Yeah. The problem is that I actually track down a couple of these people where I go. That is a really wide range of photography. And I track down, you you know, you can download the photograph and then upload it to Google as a Google search. And then you could see that, you know, it was credited to one person. Then their next photo was credited to somebody else, uh, you know, and and what they were doing is their photo stream was not their own photos. Oh, Um, so one, so I actually started, I mean, that would be the first thing that I would look at is I, I would look, I would go to their site, I would look at their stream and I would look at it as a whole. And is it as a whole, are there any consistencies here? Um, and, you know, other than they're all, they're all great shots. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, know. so that doesn't describe my my stream at all, then. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Nor my. Right. So, um, you know, part part of the deal is that that I um I, I I think about that when I when I put together my photographs and I do my stream is the idea that I am uh I I want it to not look so damn jumbled so that sure. people go who's he stealing that all from you know well, so so I don't. Uh, think we care about our Flickr stream, but in terms of an output, and if you were going to make a zine or have a show or, you know, try and illustrate an article or whatever, then that's where the limitation and the consistency can start to be an important strength. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, uh, I'm, and that's one of the real reasons why I did that one role zine, which once again, I encourage everybody to do a one role zine. And then when you're done with that one, Make sure, you know, sell it uh, on Etsy, give it away, whatever you want to do. And or you don't have to sell it on Etsy, just whatever platform you want. And then do another one and then do another one. And And while you're doing a one roll zine, take a Uh, few notes, uh, uh, auditory notes, you know, in a sort of recording device, maybe five minutes worth of commentary on the shooting process. And that fits right in with Sunny 16's new practice of of having these, you know, these one role events where they shoot one role in a limited amount of time and and le- try and learn something from that experience of of sort of trying to think fast and use up a roll of film in a short time. Right. Right. Exactly. So one of the things about that one role concept to me is I wanted some consistency in it. 
And if you shoot one roll one day, you're going to get consistency, right? If you shoot the one roll in one hour, like they're talking about with um, uh, with their um, practice. The sunny, sunny 16, yeah. The Sunny 16. Then you are going to get consistency because um, just simply, you know, that's the limitation of time. You can't get so damn wild, right? Um, it's going to be the same stock. It's going to be the same camera. It doesn't and have to be the same lens. You're not going to get uh, very far. I mean, you could, right? And like, even if you get in a car and put your foot to the floor, you're then you're just going to get this blurry picture of the roadside for an hour. <laughs> so, right. There's no right. real way that you, you yeah, it, it limits you geographically, limits your light range, and all these different things. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. It's a little, so, it's a little extreme, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm. I'm I'm trying to think of different ways in which I can make work uh, where I can think through my work before I do it um, with the idea that it's going to be printed black and white on uh, on this enlarger. By the way, um, while you were talking a while back, my wife came in here and said. FedEx dropped something off at the front door from Nick. All right. So, so <laughs> I have it larger at the front door, and uh, and in between our uh, during our next break, I'll go haul it in here, and and we can have a a, a, a podcast unboxing. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we'll, we'll hear lots of uh, tinkling glass sounds, and yeah, right. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> it's all it's all effing dented, Nick. What the hell? Um. So so anyway, that's the, the uh, that was just the idea that I'm thinking about how I have a range of cameras that and a range of film stocks that I'm not going to be able to use for the process of uh, of creating uh, darkroom photographs. So how what is there that I can do uh, for those darkroom photographs? Now, one of the things that I did uh, I, I I bought some uh, some different photographic paper that I talked about last week or last episode. Um, one of the things that I did buy was I bought a hundred pack of the four by five postcard um, paper. So I can contact six. I can contact print six by twelves on that four by five. Right. And and four by five, for that matter. So if, if you're using yeah. a four by five film and that's a nice that's a nice size contact print, actually. Right. It, it's a, it's re, it's really you, know, you have this impossibly crisp reproduction of a maybe good the size four by six. But yeah, but it doesn't matter. That'll still work. Yeah. Uh, so so I'm excited about um, uh, uh, about that and the limitations. And now I'm thinking not about my fully hybrid workflow where I work analog in, until I scan and mm-hmm. then everything is digital. Now I have to start thinking um, in, in a traditional workflow and that traditional workflow is going to be considerably different. So, yeah, uh, well that I, I, I can see this is what, this is really funny because you, when you proposed this topic um, you were talking about, I have limitations. How is that going to affect my work? And right. I took exactly the opposite uh, idea. I, I thought, uh, 
how are I have limitations? How am I going to build something to get rid of those limitations? Oh, right. No, and, and that's <laughs> so. Yes. So I have a couple examples of that uh, other approach. Um, that's and, what we do with that's what we do with homemade camera, exactly, right? Exactly. We build those things that we can't do otherwise. Right. Or, and, or and of course they always introduce some new limitation that may have to do with our incompetence or you know whatever. <laughs> Our ham-fistedness. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Well, so, so that makes a lot of sense to me. And I like the way you solved the uh, the the two-to-one aspect ratio by simply cutting your six-by-six six in half. Um, that's a great solution. It's still a big, fat negative and And actually, you were you had an idea that you mentioned earlier um, off, you know, off when we weren't on the podcast of making a dark slide with a slot that would cut, that would just take, you know, either the top or the bottom of a negative in right. order to get a panoramic format. So you could do that with a six by six roll film back and you could make a dark slide that would give you two panoramic images on each six by six square. Right. Right. So that would be, a, that would be a really efficient use too, because you wouldn't waste any film and uh, that would be cool. I think that's a really good idea. You probably get a little diffusion around the edges, so you might get a, a interesting effect from that, but. Uh, right. Right. That sounds yeah, cool. And, and, you know, right. And that um, the film gate, which is now that area that you've cut out of your brass or aluminum or whatever it is that you're, you know, you're, you're cutting. Yeah. Um, then um, it, you, you're going to get those little uneven edges, which, you know, it's like a fingerprint for that. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I dig, dig holy. One of the things, okay. So what, what Nick was talking about, did I talk about this on the last episode? I don't think I did. Um, it was uh, the idea of cutting um, a dark slide for a four by five film holder. So that it created two panorama images. There would be a top area. And then uh, so what you would do is you would have the full dark slide in. Um, you would go to shoot. You would pull that out. And then you would put a, the, the dark slide with the mask on it with the area cut out. You would slide that in, scratching your film all the hell, no doubt. Um, and then... You would take either the bottom of that sheet of paper or the top of that sheet of paper. Or so, film. Or film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sheet of film. That was what I was really trying to say. And then you take it out. You flip it around. And uh, you take the, the dark slide out. You flip it around. And you shoot the other half of that piece of film. And you get two panoramas. Um, and this was kind of, uh, a, a take on Johnny Sisson's, uh, idea of, of doing the panorama with a four by five with a cutout mask. It's just a more efficient version of it because you're not yeah. wasting film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really think that that is going to work best with a normal lens, normal focal length lens. Um, well, it's going to work really well with your six by six limitation because you'll right. get that two to one aspect ratio the same as the six by 12 uh and you'll get two out of every shot and i think that's really a really good idea yeah you'll yeah. want a little mask for your viewfinder that you can flip over as well so i've got a um, my opposite take on this um 
is an example similar in a way. I've been wanting to shoot um, big paper negatives. And, you know, what that means to me is eight by 10. And I started scratching my head and, you know, thinking about lenses. And, and the, the one sort of affordable 8x10 lens out there is a Fujinon 250mm. And they cost, it's still, even though it's affordable, it costs several hundred dollars. And I'm not up for spending that right yeah. now. So I was looking at the, the big, um, uh, there's a link, we can probably put it on our show notes, to this Fujinon uh, lens chart that, that shows... It shows the size of various different formats all the way up to 8x10 and beyond. And then there are concentric circles showing the image circle of various different lenses. So you can figure out which one covers a certain format and which one gives you extra room for movements and that sort of thing. And I was looking at it and I noticed that the 210 millimeter Fujinon almost covers 8x10. It just cuts off like maybe half inch of the corner, uh, the four corners. And, And I have that lens for four by five photography and uh-huh. it almost covers and i thought well that's fine and so i started looking up examples and lo and behold it turns out that matt mirage took a lot of eight by ten with that same lens and he just left the little dark corners in and they look fine i mean it's a huge giant negative you're missing these tiny little corners it doesn't amount to much um, and he just ignored it and took some excellent photos sometimes i noticed he used the movements to push the vignetting to either just the bottom of the image where you wouldn't really notice it against the ground and, and let the sky be clear. Um, so that's a nice little trick, you know. So ev- even if your lens image circle is exactly 8 by 10, you can still use the movements to improve your results. Um, so that was something to, that I picked up from looking at his pictures. But then it occurred to me that I could also just make a camera and just shoot eight by nine so what or eight by eight like eight by eight would be a great right. giant square paper negative lots of fun and and then my my lens would cover it with a little room for movement so that's the way to get around that limitation is just you know work with what i have and maybe that's even better maybe that eight by eight square will turn out to be my favorite uh you know format because i like square a lot i really like shooting uh square and medium format so that was uh seems like that limitation pushed me in a good direction and it's sort of like yeah. what you're talking about um so it wasn't really building a solution but it was just thinking about well wait a minute what i have is fine and i can do this you know this excellent thing without without any problem and the other example of this that i came up with is i talked earlier about a three by four speed graphic which i inadvertently purchased and it it got me looking into three by four film, three and a quarter by four and a quarter film is available, but only three emulsions, two Ilford and one uh, Shanghai emulsion are made in that size. Um, so you could get four by five film and cut it down, you know, which is a lot of work. You have to do it in complete darkness and try not to get fingerprints on it and all that stuff. Um, so I was thinking, well, maybe the best way to use this camera is to build a converter so I can use two and a quarter by three and a quarter roll film holders on it because then, you know, I like shooting roll film and it still has advantages because it's got, this camera has its own shutter because it has a much longer bellows throw. It has bigger lens board. So there's plenty of reasons to use the camera. Um, and to, and I like roll film on one twenty, so that, that would be a good solution. But then I stumbled on an even better idea when I was asking, uh, there's a guy named Jeffrey who, who makes really cool cameras, mostly adapted from old 
Graflex uh, single lens. They're they're a, a reflex type of Graflex camera that um, had a you know a mirror so you could see through the lens. And he's been making a modernized versions of them and under the name 20th Century Camera. Um, so he's definitely a do-it-yourself engineer mm -hmm. camera whiz type builder. And he also is involved in 3D printing. I think he designs and builds 3D printers or works with a company that does. Anyhow, he had a suggestion. He's made a, a, a replacement back for... Uh, three and a quarter by four and a quarter graphic cameras, just like mine. And it replaces it instead of a two by three graph lock, it replaces it with a four by five graph lock back. And the interesting idea mm. there is that you can just stick a four by five film holder on instead of having to cut the film down, you just get a three and a quarter by four and a quarter image on that four by five film. So it saves you the oh, hassle okay, sure. of having to cut the film and you get the same result. And you have the advantage of all the um, many more types of film available in 4x5. And, of course, there are 4x5-sized roll film holders, too. So you still can do all that work with 120 film. So this is a really a smart solution. And uh, and he's I'm going to get one of his uh, conversion backs and put it on that camera. And then I can go right to work using it with the roll film holders I already have that fit and fool around with you know 4x5 film and... I think it's a, a cool solution, and and it doesn't damage the camera. Yeah. You just unscrew the the back that came with it and screw the other one on, and everything works the same with ground glass and everything else. So it's a good idea. All right, all right. Um, by the way, I uh, found the Fuji chart, so we will. Um, uh, and it's not just Fuji lenses. Um, it's it's mostly Fuji lenses. Um, but then they have Horseman, Linhoff, Technica. And, oh, that's a different uh, chart. That's a cool chart that I haven't seen yet. Yeah. Well, this is a, a PDF from uh, Pacific Rim. Uh, so I'll have it in the show notes. Okay, so uh, I guess on an earlier podcast where we had Ethan Moses on, we got talking about uh, making a smaller medium format camera similar to his 4x5 Cameradactyl OG. And it, it really, you know, that's a great camera, really fun to shoot, and it immediately made me want a medium format version of it, which would be considerably smaller, but a very similar camera in every other way. And... In my case, I've been focusing on uh, shooting Mamiya Press lenses for medium format because they're really suited to do-it-yourself cameras because they, they're an interchangeable lens, bayonet mount, large format style lens with a built-in shutter and a built-in helical, and they all mount on the same flange back distance with a bayonet. And those that combination of features is maybe unique i'm not sure there's any other system quite like that um and it's this funny time in evolution of cameras where you know the graphlex cameras all had a bellows and that's how they dealt with different focal length lenses um and they were making a very flexible practical camera for for the press 
And Mamiya decided to go one better and make a medium format version of that style of camera with interchangeable lenses. But they were still working with these little more old fashioned lenses mounted in a shutter. Um, and there's some advantages to that. Uh, when you focus by moving the whole lens, you take away uh, a bunch of optical requirements that then make the lens have to be more modern and more advanced and more complicated. And or else you have some loss of quality. So this is in some ways a clumsy system because for their longer lenses, you have this great big long heel, you know, helical that sticks way out and, and maybe has a little small lens on the end of it, but it's still bulky. So it has practical disadvantages, this system, Mamiya Press, but it also has great advantages in terms of do-it-yourself camera building. And one of the things I really like about the actual Mamiya Press camera is that these lenses are also all set up for coupled rangefinder. So if you shoot them on the original camera body, you can use a coupled rangefinder, and that's a lot of fun. It's fast. It's easy. You can also range uh, scale focus them very easily, and they were mm -hmm. all set up to be used with ground glass backs. So you have that ability as well. And in the, you know, the actual, some of the, the one I have has uh, some movements even in, in the, the rear standard where the film attaches. Um, so there is extremely flexible things you can do with this type of system. Uh, so I've been focused on those lenses and they're also fairly inexpensive and a few of them are exceptional. Um, the very wide angle one is exceptional and that's particularly appealing because it's always hard to find a good wide angle. So that's one of the elements of the system I really like. And the normal lens is 100 millimeter, which is a nice normal when you're dealing with the full range from 645 up to 6x9. Um, you know, sort of the normal for 6x6 is generally 80, and 90 works pretty well. 100 is a little more appropriate for the 6x9 size, and it's not super telephoto it's it's still got a little extra width which i like it's very much a true true normal lens for those bigger medium format sizes so there are a lot of reasons i like this system and ethan got uh interested and he decided he would make a prototype mamiya press uh lens accepting body similar to the og uh 4x5 camera with a 2x3 graph lock back so that takes all the smaller roll film holders for 120 film it takes mm -hmm. uh, two and a quarter by three and a quarter sheet film holders and it also fits uh, rb67 backs um, so there is a big range of film backs that fit it and i've been working with them for a while and i have like made a panoramic back that takes 35 millimeter film that fits those and so it's already you know kind of right in the center of the the work i'm doing with uh homemade medium format cameras and this will be really welcome camera to work with i'm going to be testing the prototype because i have a bunch of lenses and film backs i can sort of try all the combinations out and test it for ethan because he's going to continue improving the design he ended up making one for himself and he's ordered a lens of his own so <laughs> he's borrowed one of my lenses to build this camera and we did a lot of back and forth because Man, it's always very hard to get the flange focal distance right, no matter what you you think you've figured out. Measuring different cameras and, you know, comparing the information on the Internet with reality. There's always this little gray area, which isn't clear. And 
even the measuring tools that we work with are tricky. Uh, I ended up buying a, a proper digital caliper because it turns out they're quite inexpensive. Um, the yeah, one, yeah. One that Ethan recommended is you know, something that comes immediately from across the sea. It's a Nico, N-E-I-K-O, stainless steel digital caliper that measures inches, millimeters, fractions, whatever you want, very accurately. But, you know, it's just a measuring tool. It doesn't quite handle that offset between the lens opening at one end of a camera and the film opening at the other. So when you're trying to measure the flange back distance directly, the tool has to go at an angle. And so it's not going to give you an exact measurement. So even the super precise tool left this little bit of doubt over the exact size. So in the end, we built one that's a little too long and we're going to test it with lenses and keep shaving a little bit off until that lens sits exactly in the right place for crisp infinity focus with the lens, you know, all the way over at infinity stop. And in the end, it always seems to come down to a little bit of handcraft. There never, there never seems to be this automatic, okay, I'm going to build this to the plans and it's going to come out just right. And I think some of it may have to do with the way that, you know, the materials, uh, the actual process isn't super precise either. There can be, you know, in a very tiny difference does matter. Uh, so anyway, right. that's the next step. Um, this will be coming in the mail and I'll start uh, checking it for infinity focus with all the different lenses and fooling around with uh, with getting it perfect. But I'm already really excited. It looks like a great camera, very solid, uh, flexible, easy to use little body that will weigh about a quarter of what the Mamiya press camera weighs. So much better for, you know, putting in a pack and taking into the back country, which is one of the main uses I have for this camera is to have a, a sturdy medium format camera that will accept a couple different lenses that I can pack in a backpack and take into the mountains. So I'm really ah, cool to that. Yep. I, uh, I have been watching this. I mean, after all, it was born during a, one of our shows um and uh you know i was listening during during that conversation um and i uh and i'm watching it being built and i i think that there is something that's going to be really really nice here um that uh will 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 not only be desirable um uh for a large portion but i think it'll be very effective uh, for a large portion of, um, uh, of photographers. Um, the big thing is, uh, and when we talk about the camera dactyl OG, the four by five camera that he put out, um, it, it's light, it's easy. It's, you know, it doesn't, um, it, it, it doesn't weigh you down. Um, and I think that this is going to have that, those same qualities, um, it's just, it, it's going to be in that slightly different format and, uh, well, slightly different, it's uh, the smaller format, but I think it's going to be very effective. And I think a lot of people will like the, uh, like this camera. I'm not sure I'm in yet, but I'm also, uh, at the point where I was kind of looking at some, uh, some of those lenses and I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe I am in, but, but no, but, uh, but the same, but the same camera can be redesigned to take other lenses. There's no reason you have right. to use this camera with 
this particular one is set up for Mamiya press lenses, but the same idea will work with any other lens that will cover yeah. your medium format. And in my, in your case, I think I would look for a six by six, a Graflex lever wind roll film back because those are probably the best in that square that'll fit your larger and right. Uh, and then any, your favorite lens that covers six by six, and you've got a bunch of good options already. Um, you just need to uh, either it'll be a long enough lens that you could just mount it right on this camera by um, here's the trick, get a Mamiya press extension tube set. And then you take the end that cl clicks into the camera. So the part that mimics the lens bayonet mount, it's quite short. It's very compact. And then you uh, attach a lens board to that, stick your lens on it and click it right on. So even if you were to use this model, you could use it with other lenses, either with a helical or at a fixed focal length distance. Sure. So, so I guess what I'm really trying to say is you don't need to buy a Mamiya press lens. You just need a lens of an appropriate focal length with its own shutter. Right. And you can use right. this camera. Uh, or I'm sure Ethan will modify, you know, and make other versions of it for other lenses right. in the near future. It's right. nice to start with Mamiya press just because it well because I already am kind of committed to that system, but also because the interchangeable lens idea. However, it does occur to me that you can, because you can make your own mounts. You know, this same camera will work for all kinds of other lenses as well. Yeah, well, the big thing about the Mamiya Press is that it has a helical, it has your aperture, and it has your shutter right there as one unit and that's mm -hmm. what and that's what on that camera you would change out you would change out the helical along with the other items so it really does make sense particularly as a system camera and um yeah and that's um uh and and and, and i think that that's it, its big advantage right now yeah and and also i really like the press camera style which camera dactyl og shares like he already went in that direction with that because it gives you the the, the choice between scale focus and ground glass focus so you can either use it to fat you know to point and shoot and work fast in a, in a kind of a journalist style or the very same camera can be set on a tripod and focused very precisely in you know mm -hmm. in a more of a large format landscape style so that's a, a great thing about them you take away the uh, option of movements but in exchange for that you get really lightweight compact simple easy to use and again it's a limitation that can be helpful that you know when you start using those cameras like point and shoots it's just a very different way to work and it gets you away from the precious ansel adams wait all day for the perfect beam of light type of photography right and right into the more immediate uh i'm gonna i'm really interested in what this subject is doing moment to moment instead of you know waiting for everything to be perfect before i you know push the button sure yeah, absolutely One of the things that I talked about the last time was creating a slit mask for the Holga. And I, you know, I did that um, and I shot a bunch with a handmade slit mask. And then I made a uh, 3D printed one that fits in there a little bit tighter. 
and a little bit thinner um, uh, for the film to roll over. And also it's got a little bit crisper and of a mask and it's more vertical. So it's, a, you know, it's just a little bit more precise. And um, I found a couple of things. So one of the, the, the first experience I had, excuse me, um, the first experience that I had, oh, fuck it, fuck it, we're out on this. I'm going to start all again. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. One twenty-five okay. So the last episode I talked about the uh, making a slit mask for the whole game. A slit mask is just a vertical film gate that slips over the film gate you've already got. And in this case, it's uh, four millimeters wide by, I don't know, uh, or excuse me, um, four millimeters wide. That doesn't sound right. It is right. It is. Yeah, it's four millimeters wide. And uh, I'm starting up my calipers just as we go. And ba-bum. And it came out to, oh, no, it's eight millimeters wide. Um, and uh, then it, and it sits over the area that um, the camera takes the pictures, right? Okay. So, wouldn't, so would it, it would be centered probably, right? To get the sharper centered, part of the lens. Yeah. Centered and it's a vertical mask. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could do this as a horizontal mask, but it wouldn't, it would ruin or it would take well, up a lot more film. It, it also but wouldn't, you, it wouldn't correspond to the film transport direction. So you would get basically a panorama instead of your slit effect. Right. Right. It, exactly. it, needs, to, Although, it needs to be perpendicular yeah. to the direction of the film movement in order to function the way you're using it now. Right. Right. And so the first ones that I did, um, I had many I, each slit image overlapped with the with its neighbors. And I think I was getting three and four double exposures in there. Um, and so I started clicking more and shooting a little bit less. So what I was doing in the first part is because they were taking up a very short horizontal amount of film, um, you know, like I was taking up maybe a half of a half of a regular frame of film, I would and I was turning the camera. I would start on the left and I'd move a little bit to the right. Um, and so you you pan, advance the film a little, shoot, pan, it, right. pan advance the film a little, shoot. Pan, advance the film a little, shoot. Depending on how much you pan, you get more or less overlap of the image from one exposure to the next. And what that would do is it would compress the image. So if you took a long object, it would narrow that object. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that was, and, and the different shapes would overlap and you would get just a section of a shape and uh, I found it to be quite interesting visually. Then the next thing that um, uh, I did was I started clicking a little bit more. So it was still I was still getting overlaps and I would still get a little bit of compression. Well, the last time that I went out and shot, uh, which was earlier this week, and I just developed it uh, a couple of days ago, I I moved I advanced the film actually more than the full gate width so that there are little 
non-image strips between them, black strips between the, the images. And now what I'm doing is I'm expanding objects. And so look at my Instagram feed. These will have been up for uh, a couple of weeks probably by the time uh, this comes out or, or a week by the time this comes out. So take a look at that. So this system can both compress and expand horizontal space. Or if you want to turn it sideways, you, you can it vertically, get, right? Yeah, well, you could do it vertically, but you could also then start taking these very thin panoramic images. And this, once again, I could make one that is three centimeters by six centimeters or, well, 26 by 56. And you know what I get then, right? I get a six by three camera. Oh, yeah. And I could take two images on a one or on um, uh, on the six by six frame space. Mm -hmm. So so then now it becomes a panorama camera. Um, And, you know, and the other thing is I can make one that's six, four, five. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, now the problem is that the. The numbering is not going to line up perfectly, so there's going to be a little bit of guessing, and there's going to be some overlapping and stuff like that. But uh, live with it. You're shooting with a Holga, right? So I was asked by Desert Owl. He's Desert Owl on Instagram, at Desert Owl. Um, He said, okay, I've tried this a couple times, and I messed up. Can you do a demonstration video? So at the time, I had some film in my Holga, so and he was trying this out with a debonair, the um, film photography podcast debonair. And I I have one of those and it um, I had shoved it in the back because the lens is considerably lower uh, quality than uh, the Holga lens. And so I made a mask for the debonair and I did a whole video now, the problem is that I did the video using um, Matboard, and Matboard is probably, I don't know, uh, half a millimeter thick. It's, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's relatively thick. Maybe it's even a millimeter thick. I could measure. I don't have any right here. But um, the, the whole thing was, is the fit for the film on a debonair is much tighter than the fit of the film on the Holga because I made the first Holga slip mask out of that same exact cardstock or uh, mat board. So um, I did a video, took me a day to figure out how to upload it. I had to divide it up into four different sections, five different sections because it was five minutes. And, um, And so I uploaded it. And then the next day I loaded film in and I couldn't advance the film. (laughs) So I did a little um, revision of it. Um, There's a, uh, I have a, uh, on Instagram again, this stuff's going to go up on, um, on Flickr. It just hasn't gone up on my Flickr stream yet. So you found a thinner material to make a mask with? Yeah. What I did was I I made it out of uh, cardstock. I, I made it out of Bristol board. Mm-hmm. And Bristol board is, you know, essentially cardstock weight. It's a little bit thicker, maybe. And um, I uh, I cut out the mask, but then it wasn't opaque, and I was worried about that. 
So I um, uh, used some of the black uh, 3M tape that is photo tape. It's um, Mm -hmm. photo thickness. So that seems to have worked uh, quite well. Um, I haven't developed it, but I'm shooting it. And uh, one of the things about that is the Debonair is a 645 camera. The Holga is a 6x6 camera. But because you are choosing the length of the image by how many shots you take, that Mm -hmm. doesn't matter at all, right? right? You can make just as long or just as short an image with the debonair. So if you have a debonair laying around, um, take a look at my Instagram feed. It is at Grandma Homemade Camera on Instagram. And this will eventually go up in my Flickr, but it may take a while. So, But it's up on Instagram right now. Hey, would uh, you, so you can, yeah. Uh, would you remind me, is one click on the Holga one millimeter of film travel? About. Yeah. It so, is about. So that's good. That really makes it kind of easy to re- guesstimate yeah. what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually, you know, now that I think about it, uh, maybe it is two millimeters. Two millimeters. This is an this is an eight millimeter wide uh, slit. Oh, so four clicks pretty much covers it. Four clicks covers it um right. yeah and uh, so i think it's probably yeah it's two millimeters per click all right so well, that's i think good it, easy to remember yeah yeah i think of it as a four click slit mm-hmm. if that makes sense so it does so so that's um so i've been having a lot of fun with that um and it's really it, it's um once again we were talking about at the uh before we started recording uh, the idea that, you know, this is a rectangular slit and there's no reason why it has to be. Uh, it could be any one of a number of different shapes and I just have to get around to making them. Yeah. So I want to see the um, the uh, kind of a, if you imagine a, like a, a narrow eye t- tipped vertically so that it's yeah, yeah, fat yeah, in the exactly. middle and pointy at the top and bottom. That shape, okay. like a Mercator projection, a map shape. I think that would be really interesting because you would have more overlap in the center and less overlap at the top and bottom. And so you'd have this gradation from double exposure to not double exposure. And it could be, right. it could be a really interesting effect. I mean, there's no limit to how many crazy things you can try with this. Right. Right. Exactly. So that's, um, that's, uh, you know, that's a continuing little process and, um, you know, you could do this, um, you you know you could do this with a dark slide on a um, you know an RB67 back that type well, of the thing. O- the only trouble there is that the controlling the amount of advance would be a little more fussy. Right. Um, right. The the old the older ones with with the knob wind would maybe be easier, although those yeah. weren't as good. I although maybe maybe it's just a matter of pulling the lever just in you know this a little bit of an increment or maybe there's a way to break it so it doesn't automatically stop when you get to the end of the advance right. you know like it may be putting a crank on and getting rid of the lever advance or you know something there might be a solution yeah yeah, so, yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um so i mean you know uh so if you don't have a holga but you have an rb67 back or a you know a graph lock back like that um you know, just go get some some shim material 
from the hardware store and make a dark slide. Might be you might want to go a little bit heavier than shim material. Here, what I have uh, that I've made it out of before. I have a, a sheet here. It is, <coughs> excuse me. It is, oh, point zero one six inches. So um, 0 0.016 inches, and I do have my calipers, and let's find out what that is in world measurement. And in world measurement, it's half, uh, it's just under uh, half a millimeter. So it's half a millimeter thickness, um, and you can make a dark slide out of that very easily. I've done it before. Um, and what is the so, material again? And this just happens to be aluminum, what I have. Oh, that's aluminum, okay. But, yeah, but it's uh, 0.016 inch stock or half a millimeter stock. Nice. And um, and I've made them out of brass and about uh, out of aluminum. So I have some brass shim stock for uh, pinholes that I'm going to uh, be building in the not too, not too near future. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's kind of what I've been up to. So. Well, I really like the results you're getting with that contraption. Thank you. It's, it's very you. interesting. And it, it's, uh, it's, it seems like you could work with that idea for a really long time and not run out of new stuff to try. I agree. I agree. Okay. So, uh, do you have a book or anything? I do. I have, um, a bunch of books for a change. So, because I've been working with these graphic cameras, I, I sent away for the sort of the original manual on using graphic and Graflex cameras called Graphic Graflex Photography by Willard D. Morgan and Henry M. Lester. And I have the ninth edition revised. And it's basically a complete textbook on photography from beginning to end, but with all the examples applying to the products of the graphic Graflex company and and all the photographs being kind of 1950s and in uh, style and subject matter, <laughs> but it's mm -hmm. it's kind of fun and and it does have some stuff that applies to the the cameras, but it's actually much more general purpose than that. Anybody interested in old fashioned photography might like it. The other book that I stumbled on uh, in a thrift store is. Panoramic Photography by Joseph Meehan, revised and updated. And it's a fairly recent Amphoto book. Um, original, the revised edition was copyright 1996. So it's not a particularly old book. And it covers all the different types of panoramic camera, from the rotating ones to the just wide format ones. And talks about specific cameras, but also about all the the kind of pluses and minuses, advantages and difficulties of uh, working with panoramic format. It, it has really nice illustrations. It's like one of those uh, paperbacks that is in a panoramic format. It's very wide. Yeah. 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 And that's that's a cool book. And then the third book was uh, listening to uh, some podcast and, you know, uh, Jay Lane was talking about lens design and about the book that really opened his eyes to uh, how to figure out what makes a lens good or bad or, you know, how to figure out what character a lens will have based on its optical design. He he found this book early in his career and it really helped him. Uh, so 
It's called Star Testing Astronomical Telescopes, a Manual for Optical Evaluation and Adjustment by Harold Richard Souter. Um, the one I have was published by William, Wilman Bell Incorporated, uh, and it's copyright 1994, hmm, same time. Anyway, it's, it's designed, it's really about telescopes, but all the information applies equally to photographic lenses. And what made it useful to him uh, was that it really goes into a very great deal of detail about the ways that lenses don't work right. <laughs> and that's how you begin to understand the difference between different lens designs and the character that is, re you know, results from the different choices in optical formulation. Uh, so it, I've just started looking at it, but it looks very, very good. It's, it's got a lot of technical stuff, but it seems very readable and good illustrations. All right. So um, one of the things that we need to talk about before we, uh, end this show, and I do have some shout-outs after this. We need to talk about our zine. So we are doing the Homemade Camera uh, podcast zine of homemade camera stuff. So um, our latest one is from Philip Lenrick, and he does uh, – um, and this is, this is not a homemade camera – this is a homemade dry plate. So he has um, uh, uploaded uh, the information and also uh, some examples of the photographs that he took using um, this homemade dry plate um, uh, uh, stuff. So, yeah, that's the type of thing that we're looking for. That's what we're excited. So, um and I think we have, I think one of them is a self-portrait. We'll all know. Uh, yeah, okay. And he has a portrait of some people and a portrait of a kid, a couple of kids. So um, really it, excited this, about that. Is this uh, is this dry plate? Is it, he's using a glass um, plate and yep. coating, coating it with an emulsion. Yeah, that's something I, yep. I'd really like to try too. Um, yeah, I'm getting excited about this scene as well. And I have to, <laughs> I have to make my own submission i think i made a test one but i don't know if that one's available anymore uh yeah i need to get that together myself and i wanted to try and um maybe pester some people that are interested in submitting but maybe need a little uh, a little pressure the dark the, yeah. there's a certain number there's a certain number of people that need it to be the last minute um, before they submit anything so right Right, exactly. So this is yeah. it. This is your pestering. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. Oh, okay. So this this episode goes out on the twenty first of June. June thirtieth is the last day of submission. So here's another one. Lucas Landers. He has a um, uh, an instant camera that he created um, out of wood and metal and gaffer's tape, <laughs> and it uses a uh, Fuji SW. Um, 90 millimeter 1.8 lens, and wow. he's got a lot of uh, of stuff there. Uh, Dale Willits, he has um one of he has a um a sampler camera um and um it's a five pinhole camera made from a uh uh of a, a folding camera. 
Okay, so okay, that's all. Those three were all on page one, and we have three pages of this stuff. Uh, Neil Piper, Foamy McFoam Board, uh, <laughs> which is a uh, a Polaroid. It's a pinhole um, made to shoot on four by five Polaroid film, and it's made out of you guessed it, foam board, foamy McFoam Board, and there's some really fun fun images on that um let's see okay so um i am then we have dom dom dominic silverthorne and he shows the full machining the wood the everything uh for making one of his cameras and it's just beautiful camera um so uh, those are, those are the ones that we have in so far. So you, I'm talking to you, you haven't submitted yours. Come on, submit them. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Um, you know, I'll put it this way. We have enough content with four people to make the zine, but we don't have enough fun content of other stuff. You know, um, uh graham from the sunny 16 come on seriously uh let's see you've got two of them you've got the 16 by 20 pinhole and you've got the jalupatel um uh i'm trying to think of uh and all uh, you really need to do is alex yates alex yates take your phone take a picture of your crazy camera and then upload a couple pictures you took with it. it it's no no big trouble right right exactly this is this is going to be fun. This is going to be the, the coolest thing in the world. Uh, it's going to be, it is going to be the zine, the zine. I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, it is, it is, it is. Everybody's going to be jealous uh, about it. So, um, uh, so yeah, um, just, uh, yeah. Uh, submit your zine, submit your zine. So um, do you have any shouts, shout outs? Well, I do in, in that I um, just started really looking hard at um, the 20th century camera, uh, the the con- basically Franken camera creations uh, with starting from the mostly Graflex cameras uh, to to create these kind of modern improved versions. And I think it's a really interesting approach um, the the idea that this is Jeffrey Hu in, in his work and he, the idea that you can take an old camera that has certain qualities that are desirable and then upgrade it to make it more uh, more smooth and enjoyable to use in, uh-huh. in a modern sense. So, you know, he'll he replaces old faded mirrors with the best bright shiny new mirror, and this is something that a lot of people do with, say, a Rolleiflex, and, and I probably should do mine. Has a very old, you know, has an old dark mirror, and when you look in the viewfinder, it's it's hard to focus unless the sun's out, you know. And you can very easily fix that. A lot of people change ground glass screens, but forget about the mirror. You know that that's a, a thing right. that goes dark over time. And you can measure the reflectivity. And a lot of the old mirrors are only reflecting 50% of the light that hits them, which is, you know, pitiful. Um, it should, it should right. be much higher than that. So there are those kinds of improvements. Um, and then he puts a prism on it so that it turns the image right side up and right ways round. And, you know, all the all those kinds of things can be done to make. And, and I don't mind struggling with old fashioned cameras. I actually enjoy it. 
But there is something to be said for taking the approach that, well, let's just take this and make it as as good as it can be and and use it that way. And that's that's interesting to see. I think it's it's uh, inspiring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a shout out to uh, Kevin and Kelly Lane. They are the Shutter Brothers and they do a podcast called Uncle Jonesy's Cameras podcast. And one of the things, you know, I'm doing this other podcast, the Get Started with Film Photography podcast, where I, I, I try to do a ground up. I do a knowledge base kind of uh, podcast where um, I try to teach something every show. Well, many of their shows are, are, are just like that, where they'll go over something like they did a big thing on uh, they did a show on flashes. And uh, how um, uh, how to use a camera flash and what they do and what they don't do. And then another episode they did was on filters. And I thought both of those shows were excellent and just down the same path as what uh, what I do with um, the Get Started with Film Photography podcast. So I just wanted to to say um they're they're really good and uh, real good folksy people and, uh, and and I'm I'm digging their show lately. Cool. All right. So um, once again, the zine. You have nine days. Nine days for the zine. Is that right? Yeah, and that's plenty of time to, to, yeah. to build nine cameras and take pictures of them. And hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. They can be um, I I'm, I'm good if they are matchbook pinholes. Um, I'd be excited for those. So um, so anyway, that's uh, I think that that's it. Right, Nick? Are, are we considering that pretty much? Yes, pretty much. Are. OK. And um, so uh, it's time, I think. Thanks, Robbie. Yeah. Robbie Cribs, thanks very much uh, for producing the music that we use throughout our show. Um, you can find his work at Soundtrap Studios if you Google that. And the other uh, thing to mention is how Graham and I can be reached. Um, if you want to oh, yeah. have questions or if you want to add something to our show uh, or criticize it or whatever, you can email uh, Nick at HomemadeCamera.com and, or Graham at HomemadeCamera.com. Right. And, and if you want to submit to the zine, I should have said that, shouldn't I? If yeah. you want to submit to the zine, you uh, all you have to do is go to homemadecamera.com. And on homemadecamera.com, uh, there is the homemade camera zine submission form. Uh, and I it's also in the show notes. There's a link in the show notes for that. 